0: So yeah, this is a um, document which, came, which I first saw at 3 o'clock this morning, I think. Um, it claims to be leaked from Google. There's good reasons to believe it is leaked from Google. And to be honest, if it's not, it doesn't actually matter because the quality of the analysis, I think, stands alone. If this was just a document by some anonymous person, I'd still think it was interesting and worth discussing. And the title of the document is We Have No Moat and Neither Does Open AI. And the argument it makes is that while Google and OpenAI have been competing on training bigger and bigger language models, the open source community is already starting to outrun them, given only a couple of months of really, like, really, really... um, serious activity. You know, Facebook Llama was the thing that really kicked us off. There were open source language models like Bloom before that and GPTJ, and they weren't very impressive. Like, nobody was really thinking that they were chat GPT equivalent. Facebook Llama came out in March, I think March 15th, um, and was the first one that really sort of showed signs of being as capable, maybe, as chat GPT. My i don't i think all of these models they've been the analysis of them has tend to be a bit hyped like i don't think any of them are even quite up to gpt 3.5 standards yet but they're within spitting distance in some respects so anyway llama came out and then two weeks later um stanford alpaca came out which was fine-tuned on top of llama and was a massive leap forward in terms of quality and then a week after that vicuna came out which is to this date, the, the best model I've been able to run on my own hardware, and I've run it on my mobile phone now, like it's astonishing how little resources you need to run these things. But anyway, the, um, the argument this paper makes, which I found very convincing, is it only took open source two months to get this far. It's now every researcher in the world is kicking in on new, new things. But it feels like there, being, there, there are problems that Google has been trying to solve that the open source models are already addressing. And really, How do you compete with that? Like with your, it's closed ecosystem. How are you going to beat these open models with all of this innovation going on? But then the most interesting argument in there is it talks about the size of models and says that maybe large isn't a competitive advantage. Maybe actually a smaller model with lots of like different people fine tuning it and having these sort of these um, LORA L-O-R-A stackable fine tuning innovations on top of it. Maybe those can move faster and actually having to retrain your giant model every few months from scratch is, is way less useful than having small models that you can, tr- you can Fine-tune in a couple of hours on laptop. So it's it's fascinating. I, I basically, if you haven't read this thing, you should read every word of it. It's not very long. It's beautifully written. Like, it's it's. I mean, if you try and find the quotable lines in it, almost every line of it's quotable. Yeah. So yeah. That's um. That that that's the status of this thing.
1: That, that, that's a wonderful summary, Simon. Uh. Yeah. There, there's so many angles we can take. Uh. To this, I'll just observe one one thing. Um. Which. Uh, if you think about the open versus closed narrative, Imad Mostak, who is the CEO of Stability, has always been that open will trail behind closed because the closed um, alternatives can always take le- learnings and lessons from open source. Um, and this is the first highly credible statement that is basically saying the exact opposite: that uh, open source is moving uh, than, than, than closed source, and um, and they are they are scared. They seem to be scared. Um, which is <laughs> interesting, Travis. Uh,
2: yeah, the the, the a, a few things that that I'll I'll, I'll say. Uh, the only thing which can keep up with the pace of AI these days is open source, um, and and I think we're we're seeing that unfold uh, in real time before our eyes. Um, and y- y- you know, I, I think the other interesting angle of this is to some degree, LLMs are they they don't really have switching costs. They are going to be become commoditized. Uh, at least that's that's what a lot of a lot of people kind of think. To to what extent is it um, is it a a rate in terms of of pricing of these things, and 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 you know they all kind of become uh, roughly the the same in terms of their their underlying abilities. Uh, and and open source is going to going to be actively pushing pushing that forward. And and then this is kind of coming from if it is to be believed, you know, the, the kind of Google or an insider type. Type mentality around, uh, you know, where is the actual competitive advantage? What should they be focusing on? How can they get back in into the game? Um, when uh, you know, when 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 currently the 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 external view of, of Google is that they're kind of spinning their wheels and they have this code red and 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 you know it's like they're they're playing catch up already. Like, uh, you know, could they use the open source community and work with them? Which is going to be really really hard uh uh you know from a structural perspective given google's uh uh, place in the ecosystem but um a a lot, lot a lot of jumping off points there i was gonna say i think the post is really focused
3: on how do we get the best model but it's not focused on like how do you build the best product around it a lot of these models are limited by how many gpus you can get to run them you know and we've seen on traditional open source like everybody can use some of these projects like you know Kafka and like Elastic for free, but the reality is that not everybody can afford to run the infrastructure needed for it. So I, I think like the main takeaway that I have from this is like a lot of the modes are probably around just getting the the sand, so to speak, and having the GPUs to actually serve these models. Because even if the best model is open source, like running it at large scale for an end is not easy. And like it's not super convenient to get a lot of the a lot of the infrastructure. Um, and we've seen that model work in open source, where you have the open source project and then you have an enterprise cloud hosted version for it. I think that's going to look really different in open source models because just hosting a model doesn't have a lot of value. So I'm curious to hear how people end up getting rewarded to do open source. You know, it's we figured that out in infrastructure, but we haven't figured that out in, in LLMs yet.
0: I mean, one thing I'll say is that the... Um the models that you can run on your own devices are so far ahead of what I ever dreamed they would be at this point. Like, and Vicuna 13B, I I think is the current best available open model that I've played with. It's derived from Facebook Llama, so you can't use it for commercial purposes yet. But the point about Vicuna 13B is it runs in the browser directly on web GPU. There's this amazing web LLM project where you literally, your browser downloads a two gigabyte file and it fires up a chat GPT style interface and it's quite good. It can do rap battles between different animals and all of the kinds of fun stuff that you'd expect to be able to do with a language model running entirely in Chrome Canary. It's shocking to me that that's even possible. But that kind of shows that once, once you get to inference, if you can shrink the model down and the techniques for shrinking these models, the, the first one was the, um, the quantization, which, um, The Llama.cpp project really sort of popularized Mac and, you know, by using 4-bit instead of 16-bit floating point numbers, you can shrink it down quite a lot. And then there was a paper that came out days ago suggesting that you can prune the models and ditch half the model and maintain the same level of quality. So with, with things like that, with all of these tricks coming together, it's really astonishing how much you can get done on hardware that people actually have in their pockets even.
1: It is. Uh, just for the, just for completion, uh, I've been following oh. all of your posts. Oh, sorry. Yes. Oh. Uh, I just want to follow up. Simon, you're, you said you're running a model on your phone. Which model is it And uh, I don't think you've written it up.
0: Uh, yeah, that one's Vikuna. I did, did I write it up? I did. I've got a blog post about how it um, it, it, it knows who I am, sort of, but it said that I invented a, a, a pattern for living called the bear or bunny pattern, which I definitely didn't. But I love that my phone decided that I did. And yeah, it's... <laughs> um, it,
1: okay, okay. Um, it
0: looks like... Simon, so
1: is, is Simon cutting in enough for anyone? Um, I think. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, he's cutting in
1: now. Simon, your uh, your reception doesn't seem that great uh, wherever you're walking, uh, and I hope it's a nice walk.
0: <laughs> it is a lovely walk. I'm hoping I can find a beach in a park, uh, a bench in a park, so i'll be I will be stable very shortly. Okay,
1: no, it, it's great. I, I would um I, I will hunt for that because I'm not yet running Vikonia on my phone, and I feel like I should, and uh, as like a very base thing. But I'll, okay, I'll, I'll follow up uh, two things, right? Like, uh, One, I'm very interested in, and I won't, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, because this concept of stackable improvements to models, I think is extremely interesting. Like, I would love to NPM install abil- abil- abilities onto uh, my models, right? Which is really awesome. Uh, but the, the first thing I think is under-discussed is, I don't get the panic, like, honestly like google has the most modes i i I was arguing maybe like three months ago on my blog like google has the most mode out of a lot of people because hey we have your calendar hey we have your email hey we have your uh you know google docs like isn't that a, a sufficient mode like why are these guys panicking so much i don't i still don't get it like sure you know open source is running ahead and like it's it's on device and what what have you, but they have so much more mode. Like what are we talking about here? You know? Like it's it's what Alessio was saying is like product mode versus um product mode versus uh you know like I guess language there's many dimensions to compete on.
2: Yeah, there's like one of one of the, the things that that the author uh uh you know mentions in, in here is when when you start to to, to have the feeling of what we're trailing behind then your, your 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 uh brightest researchers you know jump ship and go to open ai or go to work at, at at academia or whatever and like the talent drain at the the uh level of the the senior ai researchers that are pushing these things ahead within google i think is a serious serious concern and my my take on uh it's a good point right like 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 what. Google has most, they, they they're not running out of money anytime soon you know i think they they do see the level of the the defensibility and and the fact that they want to be a, a, a time and the, the, the the leader around pretty much, around first, pretty much tech anything first. tech first um, um e, 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 and, and they're they're there's definitely ha, ha, have lost that 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 feeling right and 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 you know to what degree they can they can with the the open source community to to get that back and and help drive that um you know, all, all of the 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 llama um, uh, subset of models yeah. Yeah. with with um, alpaca and vicuna, et cetera, that all came from from Meta, right? Like that, yeah. Like it's not licensed in an open way where you can build a company on top of it, but is now kind of driving this family of of models. Like there's a tree of models that that they're they're uh, leading, and 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 where is Google in that in that playbook? Like for a long time, they were the one releasing those models, being super open, and and now it's just. Uh, they they seem to be trailing, and there's there's uh, people jumping ship, and, and and to what degree can they can they can they close off those wounds and and focus on on where where they, they have unique uh, uh, ability to, to to gain momentum. Um, I think is a core core part of, of of my takeaway from from this.
3: Yeah, and I think another big thing in the post is oh, as long as you have high quality data, like you don't need that much data, you can just use that the first party data loops are probably going to be the most important going forward, if we do believe that this is true. So Databr- we have Mike Conover from Databricks on the podcast, and they talked about how they came up with the training set for uh, Dolly, which they basically had Databricks employees uh, write down very good questions and very good answers for it. Not every company has the scale to do that. Um, and I think, you know, products like Google, they have, Millions of people writing Google Docs. That millions of people using Google Sheets. That millions of people writing stuff, creating content on YouTube. The question is, if you want to compete against these companies, maybe the model is not what you're gonna do it with because the open source kind of commoditizes it. But how do you build even better um, data first-party loops? And that's kind of the hardest thing for startups, right? Like even if we open up the the models to everybody, and everybody can just go on GitHub and or hugging face and get the weights to the best model, or get enough people to generate data for me so that I can still make it good. Um, That's that's what I would be worried about if I was a, a new company. How do I make that happen really quickly?
0: I'm not convinced that the data is that big a challenge. So um, there's this project. So the problem with Facebook Llama is that it's not available for for commercial use. So people are now trying to train a alternative to Llama that's entirely on openly licensed data. And the the biggest project around that is this red pajama project, which um, they released their training data a few weeks ago. And it was 2.7 terabytes, right? So actually tiny, right? You can buy a laptop that you can fit 2.7 terabytes on. Um, But it was the same exact data that um, Facebook, it was the same thing that Facebook Lama had been trained on. Because for your base model, you're not really trying to teach it facts about the world. You're just trying to teach it how English and other languages work, how they fit together. And then the real magic is when you fine tune on top of that. That's what, alpaca did on top of llama and so on and the fine tuning sets it looks like like tens of thousands of examples to kick one of these raw models into shape and tens of thousands of examples like databricks spent a month and got the 2,000 employees of their company to help kick in and it worked <clears throat> you've got um the open assistant project and crowdsourcing this stuff now as well so it's achievable
1: sorry of um i agree i think it's a f- fascinating point uh, actually so i've heard uh, through the grapevine that Red Pajamas model trained on the, the data that they release is going to be releasing tomorrow. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a very exciting time because uh, the, the, there, there's a there's a couple more models uh, that are coming down the pike which are independently produced and so yeah that everyone is challenging all these assumptions from from first principles which is uh, fascinating. <laughs> um, I, I did I did wanted to to like try to get a little bit more technical in terms of like the the, the, the specific points raised because this doc this doc was just amazing. Uh, can we talk about Laura? Um, uh, i, I open it up to Simon again if he's uh,
0: back uh i'd rather someone else take on laura i i I know as much as i've read in that paper but not much more than that so
1: i thought this was kind of like an optimization uh technique um so laura stands for low rank uh adaptation um but this is the first mention of laura as a form of stackable uh improvements um where he uh, i forget what let me just let me just kind of Google this. Uh, but obviously anyone's more
3: knowledgeable, please uh, so come on in. I, yeah. I, I, all I've learned is through ChatGPT. I spent about twenty minutes on GPT-4 <laughs> trying to figure out <laughs> what it was. Um, you know, study computer science, but this is not uh, this is not my area of expertise. What I got from it is that basically, instead of having to retrain the whole model, uh, you can just pick one of the ranks um, and you take one of like the the weight matrices and like make two smaller. Matrices from it, and then just to to be retrained, and training the whole model. So all these things, a lot of. Yeah, you freeze part of the
1: thing, and then you just train a smaller part like that. Exactly, that, that seems to be a, a area of a lot of fufu research. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Mini GPT four recently did something similar as well, and then there's 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 a there's a sparse model people out today that uh, mm-hmm. also
0: did the same thing. So and I've seen what, a lot of um Laura bit stable the the stable diffusion community have been using Laura a lot. So that, in that case, they had a, I, the thing I've seen is people releasing Laura's that are like, you, you train a concept, like a, a particular person's face or something, you release, and the, the Laura version of this ends up being megabytes of data, like, which is, is you know, it's small enough that you can just trade those around. And you can effectively load multiple of those into the model. But what I hadn't realized is that you can use the same trick on, on language models. That was one of the big new things for me in reading the, uh, the leaked Google paper today.
3: Yeah, and I think the point to make around owning the infrastructure, so what ChatGPD has told me uh, is that when you're figuring out what rank you actually want to do this fine-tuning at, um, you can have, either go too low and like the model doesn't actually learn it, or you can go too high and the model overfits those learnings. So if you have a base model that everybody agrees on, then all the subsequent like LoRa work is done around the same rank. Which gives you an advantage, and the point they made in the that since LLAMA has been the base for a lot of this um, Lora work, like they own the the mindshare of the community, so everything that they're building is compatible with their architecture. But if Google open sources their own model, you know the rank that they chose. Um, for LoRa on Llama
0: might not work on the Google model, so all of the existing work is not portable. So the impression I got is that one of the challenges with LoRa is that you train all these LoRa's on top of your model, but then if you retrain that base model, those LoRa's become invalid, right? They're essentially, they're they're, they're built for an exact model version. So this means that being the big company with all of the GPUs that can afford to retrain a model every three months, that's suddenly not nearly as valuable as it used to be. Because now maybe there's an open source model that's five years old at this point and has like multiple, multiple stacks of LoRa's trained all over the world on top of it, which can outperform your brand new model just because there's been so much more iteration on that base.
1: I, I, think, it's, I think it's fascinating. It's, um, I think uh, Jim Fan from uh, NVIDIA was recently making this argument for transformers. Like even if we do come up with a better... Uh, Architecture than transformers. They're the sheer hundreds and millions of dollars that have been invested on top of transformers make it uh, actually, uh, there is some switching cost. Um, and it's not exactly obvious that better huh. architecture
0: equals that <laughs> uh, we should all switch immediately tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the difficulty of launching a new programming language today yes. is that Python and JavaScript have a million packages. So no matter how good your new language is, if it can't tap into those existing package libraries, it's, it's not going to be useful for them, yes. which is why Mojo is so clever because they did build on top of Python. So they get all of that existing infrastructure, all of that existing code working already. I mean, what what we
1: thought uh, you since you're you know co-creator Django and all that, uh, do, do we want to take a diversion into Mojo? Yeah.
2: Well, no, I would, I I'd be happy to, to, to jump in and, and, and get Simon's take on on Mojo. One 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 uh small small point on Laura is, you know, I I just think if you think about at a high level what the the major uh, uh down downsides are of these these large language models, uh, it's the fact that they uh well. Um, they're difficult to, to, to train, right? They, they uh, tend to hallucinate, and they uh, are have, have a static, like like they were trained at a certain date, right? And with with Laura, I think it makes it a lot more um, amenable to uh, uh, training uh, 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 new, new updates on top of that that like base model on the fly, where you can you know incorporate new new data and it, it, in a way that. Uh, is, is, is an interesting and potentially more optimal uh, alternative than doing the kind of in-context uh, generation, you know, because most of, like, who have perplexity.ai or, or any of these these approaches currently, it's, like, uh, all based off of doing real-time searches and uh, injecting as much into the, the, the local context window as possible so that you, you try to ground your, 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 your language model both in terms of the the information it has access to, uh, that 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 helps to reduce hallucinations. Uh, it can't reduce it, but you know helps to reduce it. And then also gives it access to up to date information that wasn't around for that that massive like like pre training stuff. And you know I think Laura uh, in in my mind really uh, makes it more more oh. amenable to um, having having constantly shifting uh, uh, lightweight uh, uh, pre-training on top of it, that scales uh, better than, than normal pre- uh, uh, I'm sorry, fine-tune, fine-tuning. Um, yeah. That, that was just kind of my one takeaway there.
0: I mean, for me... I've never been, I want to run models on my own hard. I don't actually care about their factual content. Like I don't need a model that's been, that's trained on the most up-to-date things. What I need is a model that can do the Bing and Bard trick, right, that can tell when it needs to run a search and then go and run a search to get extra information and, and bring that context in. And similarly, I want it to be able to operate tools where it can access my email or look at my notes or all of those kinds of things. And I don't think you need a very powerful model for that. Like, that's one of the things where I feel like, yeah, Vikuna running on my, on my laptop is probably powerful enough to drive a sort of personal research assistant which can look things up for me and it can summarize things in my own notes and it can do all of that. And I don't care that it doesn't know about the Ukraine war because the Ukraine war had a training off. That doesn't matter if it's got those additional capabilities, which are quite easy to build. You know, the reason everyone's going crazy building agents and tools right now is that it's a few lines of Python code and, 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 a, and a sort of couple of paragraphs of prompt to get it to work.
2: Well, let's 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 maybe dig in on that a little bit, and this this also is is very related to Mojo because um, I, I do think there are use cases and domains where having uh, uh, the the hyper optimized like uh, a version of these models running on device is is very relevant, where you can't necessarily make API calls out, you know, on the fly and and, and aug- do um, uh, context uh, uh, augmented you know generation. Um, and I was I was uh, talking with, with a, uh, a researcher. At Lockheed Martin yesterday, literally about like like the the version of this that's running um, uh, of of language models running on on uh, fighter jets, right? And you you talk about like the 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 amount of engineering precision and optimization that has to go into to those type of models um and the fact that that you spend so much money like like training a super distilled you know version where milliseconds matter you know it's a life or death situation there um you know and you couldn't even even remotely have a use case there where you could like call out and and have have api calls or something so i I do think there's like uh uh, keeping in mind the the, uh, use cases where where uh, there'll be use cases that I'm more excited about you know at, at the application level where where yeah, I, I want to to just have it be super flexible and be able to call out to APIs and have this agentic type type thing. And then there's also industries and, and use cases where where you really need everything baked into the model and and uh, yeah, yep,
1: agreed. <laughs> uh, I, my My favorite piece uh, take on this is I think uh, GPC four as a reasoning engine, which I think came from the, uh, the from um, Nathan at every Not two. Uh, Which uh, I think, uh, yeah, I see the 100 uh, score over there. Uh, Simon, do you you have a a few seconds on um, Mojo?
0: Sure. So, Mojo is a brand new programming language. It was just announced a few days ago. It's not actually available yet. I think there's an online demo, but presuming it becomes an open source language we can use, um, it's got really some very interesting characteristics. It's a superset of Python. So anything written in Python will just work, but it adds additional features on top that let you basically do very highly optimized code written in Python syntax, but it compiles down. The um, the main thing that's exciting about it is the pedigree that it comes from. It's a team led by Chris Lattner, and built LLVM and Clang, and then he designed Swift at Apple. So he's got like three three for three on on extraordinarily impactful high performance computing products. Um, And he put together this team and they've basically, they're trying to go after the problem of how do you build a language which you can do really high performance optimized work in, but where you don't have to do everything again from scratch. And that's where building on top of Python is so clever. So I wasn't, like if this thing came along, I I didn't really pay attention to it until Jeremy Howard, who built Fast AI, and put up a very detailed blog post about why he was excited about Mojo, which included a, there's a video demo in there which everyone should watch, because in that video, he takes matrix multiplication implemented in Python, and then he uses the Mojo extras to 2000x the performance of that matrix multiplication. Like he adds a few static type functions sort of struct instead of a class, and it gets 2000 times the performance out of it, which is phenomenal, like absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> so, yeah, that that got me really excited, like the idea that we can still use Python and all of the stuff we've got in Python, but we can just very slightly tweak some things and get literally like a thousand times upwards performance out of the things that matter. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah, I'm curious, like, how come this wasn't thought of before? Uh, It's not like the, the, the concept of a language superset uh hasn't you know hasn't has has isn't is completely new but all as far as i know all the previous python uh interpreter approaches like the alternative runtime approaches are you know like they, they they're more they're more sort of fit conforming to standard python but never really tried this additional approach of augmenting the language i i wonder wondering if you have many um, insights there on, on like why like why is this a, a, a breakthrough <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So Jeremy Howard's piece talks about this thing called MLIR, which I hadn't heard of before, but this was another Chris Latner project. You know, he built LLVM as a low-level virtual machine that you could build compilers on top of. And then MLIR was this one that he initially kicked off at Google. And I think it's um, part of TensorFlow and things like that, but it was very much optimized for multiple cores and, and GPU access and all of that kind of thing. And so my reading of Jeremy Howard's article is that they basically built Mojo on top of MLIR. So they had a huge, huge um, like a, a starting point where they'd already, I mean, they, they knew this technology better than anyone else. And because they had this very, very robust, high performance basis that they could build things on, I think maybe they're just the first people to try and build a high, try and combine a high-level language with MLIR, with some extra things. So it feels like they're basically taking a whole bunch of ideas people have been sort of experimenting with over the last decade and bundled them all together with exactly the right team, the right level of expertise. And it looks like they've got the thing to work. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm very intrigued to see, especially once this is actually available and we can start using it. It, it. Jeremy Howard is someone I respect very deeply. And he's he's hyping this thing like crazy, right? His headline, his, and he's not the kind of person who hypes things if they're not worth hyping. He said, Mojo may be the biggest programming language advanced in decades. And from anyone else, I'd kind of ignore that headline, but from him, it, it really means something.
1: Yes, because he doesn't hype things up uh, randomly. Um, yeah, and, and, and he's a noted skeptic of Julia uh, which is which is also another uh, data science hot topic, um, but uh, from the TypeScript and web web uh, development worlds, uh, there has been a dialect of TypeScript that was specifically optimized to compile to WebAssembly, uh, which I thought was like promising, and then and and uh, eventually it never really took off. But um, I, I like this approach because I think uh, more. Frameworks should, should essentially be languages and recognize that they are language supersets and maybe work on compilers that, um, uh, that work on them. And then that is, the, by the way, that's the direction that React is going right now. Um, so fun times.
0: Huh. <laughs> so TypeScript's an interesting comparison, actually, because TypeScript is effectively a superset of JavaScript, right? It is, but there's yeah, no formal
1: and... angle. It's purely types, right? Gotcha,
0: right. So, so I guess Mojo is the superset of Python, but the emphasis is absolutely on tapping into the performance stuff.
2: Right. Well, the just things the, people the, actually care about. <laughs> yeah. the The one thing I found is is very similar to the early days of TypeScript. There was the the that the most important thing was that it's incrementally adoptable. You know, because people had JavaScript code bases and and they wanted to incrementally like add uh, uh the, the the main value prop for typescript was reliability and the the, the the static typing um and with mojo we see it being basically anyone who's a target uh, uh, a large enterprise user of, of mojo or even researchers like they're all going to be coming from a, a hardcore back background in in python and and have large existing libraries and the the question will be for what use cases will mojo be like a a really good fit for that incremental adoption where you can still uh tap into your 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 massive like python um existing infrastructure workflows data tooling etc um and and you know what is what does that path to adoption look like uh, yeah, we 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 don't know because it's a waitlisted language, uh, which uh, people were
1: complaining about. The 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 Mojo creators were like saying something about they had to scale up their servers, and I'm like, what language requires a central server? Uh, so it's a little bit sus, a little bit like uh, there's a there's a cloud product already in place, and uh, you know they're uh, waiting for it. But we'll see, we'll see. Uh, they, I think mean, Mojo is actually promising, and I I actually want more. Uh, programming language innovation this way you know i was complaining years ago that programming language innovation is all about stronger types all fun all about like more functional more strong types uh everywhere and, and this is the first one is actually much more practical um which i which i really enjoy um this is why i wrote uh, about self-provisioning runtimes. times
3: and i mean this is kind of related to the post right like if you stop all of a sudden um we like the models are all the same and we can improve them like where can we get the improvements you know it's like Better runtimes, better languages, better tooling, better data collection. Yeah. So, uh, if I were a founder today, I wouldn't worry as much about the model, maybe, but I would say, okay, what can I build into my product? And like, or what can I do at the engineering level that maybe it's not model optimization because everybody's working on it. But like you said, it's like, why haven't people thought of this before? It's like, it's, it's definitely super hard. But I'm sure that if you're like Google or you're like OpenAI or you're like, Data breaks. We got smart enough people that can think about these problems. So hopefully we see more of this. You need uh, a Um Okay, I promised to, to keep this relatively tight.
1: Uh, I know Simon. Is on a beautiful day, uh, it is a very nice day in California. Um, I wanted to go through a few more points that you have uh, pulled out, uh, Simon, uh, and, and just give you the opportunity to to rant and riff and and what have you. Um, are there any other points uh, from going back to the sort of Google OpenAI mode documents uh, that, that you felt like we, we should dive in on?
0: I mean, the really interesting stuff there is the strategy component, right? The, um, this idea that um, that Facebook accidentally stumbled into leading this because they put out this model that everyone else is innovating on top of. And there's a very open question for me as to are, would Facebook re-license Llama to allow for commercial usage? Yeah, is there, hint-
1: is there some rumor? Is that, is that today?
0: Is there a rumor about that? That would be interesting.
1: Yeah, I saw I saw something about uh, Zuck saying that he would uh, release the, the Llama weights uh,
0: officially. Oh my goodness! No, that I admit that is that's huge. Let me, my- let me
1: confirm the tweet. Let me find the tweet and then. Uh, yeah. Okay,
0: because um, I actually, I met somebody from Facebook uh, Machine Learning Research a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I pressed them on this, and they said basically they don't think it'll ever happen because if it happens and then somebody does horrible fascist stuff with this model all of the headlines will be merg releases a monster into the world so so his the, the, the a couple of weeks ago his feeling was that it's just too risky for them to to allow it to be used like that but you know a couple of weeks is is, is a couple of months in the ai world so yeah it wouldn't be it feels to me like strategically facebook should be jumping right on this because this puts them at the very the very lead of, of open source innovation around this stuff.
1: Uh, so I've pinned the tweet uh, talking about uh, Zuck and Zuck saying that meta will open up Llama. Uh It's from the founder of Obsidian, which gives it a slight bit more credibility, but it is the only tweet that I can find about it. So completely unsourced. <laughs> we shall see. Um, I, I, I mean, I have friends within Meta, I should just go ask them, but um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, one interesting angle on, on the memo actually is, uh, is that, uh, and, and they were linking to this in, in, in a doc, which is uh, apparently like Facebook got a bunch of people to do, because they, they never released it for commercial use, but a lot of people went ahead anyway and, and optimize and, and uh, build extensions and stuff. Um, they, they got a bunch of free work out of open source, <laughs> which is an interesting strategy. This, uh, okay, no, I, I don't know if I. Have oh,
0: to like- I've got exciting piece of news. I've just heard from somebody with contacts at Google that they've heard people in Google confirm the <laughs> leak that that document was indeed a legit Google document, which I don't find 10. surprising at all. But I'm now up to a ten out of ten on, on whether that <laughs> that's that's real.
1: Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, it is fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean uh, the the strategy is 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 really interesting. Um, I think Google has been. Definitely sleeping on monetizing. You know, I, I heard someone call when um, Google Brain and DeepMind merged that they were, it was like something like, uh, you know, goodbye to the Xerox park of our era. And it definitely feels like Google X and Google Brain uh, were definitely Xerox parks of our, of our era. And I guess we all benefit from that. <laughs>
0: So one thing I'll say about the the, the Google side of things, like the um, there was a question earlier, why are Google so worried about this stuff? And I think it's it's just all about the money. You know, the the, the engine of money at Google is Google Search and Google Search Ads. And who uses ChatGPT on a daily basis like me will have noticed that their usage of Google has dropped like a stone, because there are many many questions that that ChatGPT, which shows you no ads at all, is 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 a better source of information for than Google now. And so, yeah, I'm not, it doesn't surprise me that Google would see this as an existential threat because whether or not they can be, you know, barred, it's actually, it's not great, but it, it exists, but it doesn't it yet either. And if I've got a chatbot, chatbot that's not showing me ads and chatbot that is showing me ads, I'm going to pick the one that's not showing me ads.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I did see um, a prototype of Bing with ads, uh, Bing chat with ads.
0: Um, I haven't seen the prototype yet, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um
1: anyway, I, I it, it will come obviously, and then we will choose we'll, we'll go out of our way to avoid ads, just like we always do. We'll need uh, ad blockers in chat. <laughs> Excellent.
2: Um yeah, if we well like one one thing on the open source versus versus closed uh side of things, you, you know, going back to an earlier point and the whole whole uh kind of uh, uh thesis of, of this this uh, uh post. Um you know, view uh, without a doubt, like GPT-4 as the the, the the kind of lead in in this industry, and it's it's proprietary, and, and, and you know now now they're they're being a lot more careful about actually even releasing information about you know how they trained it and, and the models, uh, uh, you know, um, architecture and everything. Um, there is something to be said as we inch closer towards uh, more uh, more more powerful foundational models um having the ability to to actually shut them off or or have an api that you can literally just turn off if if shit hits the fan um and you know i think we're kind of kind of seeing that that there if, if you have an open open model at g and and you know what what alpaca showed is you can essentially like uh, fine-tune and, and train on the outputs of that at scale like even, even just having that open and, and having the ability to, to, to call into that and generate inputs and outputs you can replicate it to some degree the open source models are not not there yet um, like it's still trailing but the the rate of progress uh, is, is is there and and to, whether or not that will fundamentally pass the the private models or or whether or not these these large incumbents and whether it's open AI or meta or, or google like whether or not they sh- can or should be focusing on the, the the largest versions of these models strategically i don't i don't know there's so many so many pieces there but um yeah i i, I do think like a fundamental aspect of the safety and side of this is the fact that if you have a hosted model and and it's something you can control that you can have just ju- have the ability to just shut it off if if things you know start yeah. to go go wrong
0: so I feel like on the safety side, the, the safety side, there are basically two areas of safety that I, I, I sort of split it into. There's the science fiction scenarios, the AI breaking out and killing all humans and creating viruses and all of that kind of thing, the sort of Terminator stuff. And then there's the um, the people doing eat bad things with AI. And that's latter one is the one that I think is much more interesting. And that, you know, cause you could use, like um, things like romance scams, right? Romance scams already take billions of dollars from, from vulnerable people every year. Those are very easy to automate using existing tools. I'm pretty sure Vicuna 13B running on my laptop could spin up a pretty decent romance scam if I was evil and wanted to use it for that. Um, so that's the kind of thing where I get really nervous about it, like the fact that these models are out there and bad people can use these to do bad things. Most importantly, at scale, like romance scamming, you don't need a language model to pull off one romance scam, but if you want to pull off a thousand at once, the language model might be the the thing that that helps you scale to that point. And yeah, in terms of the science fiction stuff, and also like a a model on my laptop that can guess what comes next in a sentence, I'm not worried that that's going to break out of my laptop and and destroy the world. I get slightly nervous about the huge number of people who are trying to build AGI's on top of this model is the baby AGI stuff and so forth, but I don't think they're gonna get anywhere. I feel like if you actually wanted a model that was was a threat to humanity, a language model would be a tiny corner of what that thing was actually built on top of. You'd need goal setting and all sorts of other bits and pieces. So yeah, for the moment, the science fiction stuff doesn't really interest me, although it is a little bit alarming seeing more and more of the very senior figures in this industry Sort of tip the hat and say, you know, we're getting a little bit nervous about this stuff now.
1: Yeah, so that would be Jeff Hidson and Yosha Benjo. Uh, and I, I saw this meme this morning that Jan Lecun was like happily saying this is fine. <laughs> Being the third award yeah. winner. <laughs>
0: But you'll see a lot of the ai safe, the people who've been talking about AI safety for the longest are getting really angry about the science fiction scenarios because they're like no the the thing that we need to be talking about is the harm that you can cause with these models right now today, which is actually happening, and the science fiction stuff kind of ends up distracting from that
1: I love it you, you okay so so uh, Eliezer, I don't know how to pronounce his name uh Eliezer has a list of ways that AI will kill us post and I think Simon you could write a list of ways that AI will harm us but not kill us right like uh, the 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 non science fiction actual harm ways I might I haven't seen an actual list of like hey romance scams uh, spam uh, I, I don't I don't know what else but that could be very interesting as a hmm. Okay. Well, practical, uh, like here are the situations we need to guard against because they are more real today than uh, that we need to think about, warn about. Um, Obviously, you've been a big advocate of prompt injection awareness, uh, even though you can't really solve them. And (laughs) I, I worked through a scenario with you, but yeah
0: yeah prompt injection is a whole other side of this which is i mean that if you want a risk from ai the risk right now is everyone who's building are building systems that attackers can trivially subvert into stealing all of their private data unlocking their house all of that kind of thing so that's another very real risk that we have today
1: yeah i think in all our personal bios we should edit in Prompt injections already. Like in, on my website, I want to add in a personal uh, prompt injection, so that if I get scraped, like I all know if someone's like reading from a script, right? That uh, that is generated by an AI bot.
0: I've seen people do that on LinkedIn already, and they get <laughs> they get recruiter emails saying, "Hey, I didn't read your bio properly, and I'm just an AI script. But would you like a job? Yeah, it's fascinating." <laughs> okay.
1: Um. All right. So tr- trying to stay uh roughly on topic. Um. Uh, I I think I think this uh this this moat uh, is you know is a peek under the curtain of the, the, the internal panic within Google. Um, I think it is very va- very validated. I'm not so sure they should care so much about small models uh or, or like on device models, um. But the other stuff is interesting. There was a comment at the end that you had, oh. Simon, about um. As for OpenAI, OpenAI themselves, OpenAI doesn't matter. Right, so this is a Google document talking about Google's position in the market and what Google should be doing. But they had a comment here about OpenAI. They also said OpenAI had no moat, which is a interesting and brave comment, given that OpenAI, you know, is the leader in in a lot of these uh, innovations.
0: Well, one thing I will say is that I think we might have identified who within Google wrote this document. Now there's a version of it floating around with a name. And I looked them up on LinkedIn. They're heavily involved in the AI corner of Google. So my guess is that a Google, when on I've worked for companies, I'll put out a memo. I'll write up a Google doc and I'll email it, email it around. And it's nowhere near the official position of the company or of the executive team. It's somebody's opinion. And so I think it's more likely that this particular document is somebody who works for Google and has an opinion and distributed it internally and then, it, and then it got leaked. I don't know if it's necessarily represents Google's sort of institutional thinking about this. I think it probably should. Again, this is such a well-written document. It's so well argued that if I was an executive at Google and I read that, I would, I would be thinking pretty hard about it. But yeah, oh. I don't think we should see it as, as sort of the official secret internal position of the company.
1: Yeah, first of all, I might promote that person because uh, he's clearly more Oh uh, definitely.
0: He's 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 really that this is a it's I, I would hire this person on the strength of that document. <laughs> uh, but second of but...
1: all, this is more about open AI. Like I, I'm not interested in Google's, you know, official statements about open AI. But I was just interested, like his assertion that open
2: AI doesn't have a mode. Um that's a bold statement. I don't know. it has got, got the best people. <laughs> well, I, I would I would say two things here. One, it's really interesting, just at a meta meta quote, uh, point that that they even uh approached it this way of having this public leak, uh it it kind of t- talks a little bit to the fact that they, they they felt that that doing doing internally like wasn't going to get anywhere or or maybe this speaks to to some of the like middle management type stuff or, or within google and then to the the the, the point about like open a not having a moat um I think for, for large language models it, it, it will be uh, over over time kind of a race to the bottom just because the switching costs are, are, are so low compared with traditional cloud and SaaS. Um, and you know, yeah, there will be differences in, in, in quality, but but like over time if you, if you look at the limit of these things, like the I think Sam Altman, you know, has been quoted a few times saying that the 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 price uh, of marginal price of intelligence will go to zero over time. And the marginal price of energy powering that intelligence will, will also uh, head over time. And in that world, if you're you're providing large language models, they become commoditized. Like, yeah, what is what is your mode at that point? Um, I don't know. I think they're I- extremely well positioned as a team and as a company for leading this space. I'm not that not worried about that. But it is something from a strategic uh, point of view to keep in mind about large language models becoming a commodity.
0: So it's quite short. So I think it's worth just reading the, that, that entire section. It says, epilogue, what about OpenAI? All of this talk of open source can feel unfair given OpenAI's current closed policy, why do we have to share if they won't, that's talking about Google sharing, but the fact of the matter is, we are already sharing everything with them in the form of the steady flow of poached senior researchers, until we spend that time, secrecy is a moot point, I love that, that's so salty. And in the end, open AI doesn't matter. They are making the same mistakes, mistakes that we are in their posture relative to open source and their ability to maintain an edge is necessarily in question. Open source alternatives can and will eventually eclipse them unless they change their stance. In this respect, at least we can make the first move. So the argument this, this paper is making is that Google should go, go like meta and, and just lean right into open sourcing it and engaging with the wider open source community much more deeply, which OpenAI have very much signaled they are not willing to do. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's it's it read the whole thing. The whole thing is full of little snippets like that. It's just super fun.
1: Yes, yes, read the whole thing. Uh, I, I also appreciated the timeline because it set a lot of really great context for people who
3: are out of the loop. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And all right. The, the, the final conspiracy theory is that this got leaked right before Sundar and Satya and Sam all went to the White House this morning. So Yeah, did it happen? I haven't caught up. Like, the White House made a statement. No, oh, that uh, I I just saw I just saw the photos of them going into the the White House. I've not I haven't seen any post meeting um, updates.
1: Yeah. I think it's a big win for Anthropic to be at that table. Oh like, yeah,
3: for yeah. sure. Yeah. And Cohere is not there. I was like, hmm, interesting. Well, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they need they need some help. Um, but okay. Uh, well, I, I I promise to keep this relatively tight. Uh, spaces do tend to have a have a tendency of dragging on. Uh, but before we go, anything that uh, you all want to plug? Anything that you're working on currently? Um, maybe go around. Uh, Simon. Uh, um, are you still working on dataset?
0: <laughs> I am. I am. I'm having a bit of a so datasets my open source project that I've been working on It's about helping people analyze and publish data I am having an existential crisis of it at the moment because I've got access to the chat gpt code interpreter mode and you can upload a sqlite yes. database to that and it will do all of the things that, I, that are on my roadmap for the next 12 oh months. Oh my God. So that's frustrating. So I'm basically, I'm leaning data set. My interests in data set and AI are, are rapidly crossing over. I'm a lot harder about the AI features that I need to build on top of data set to make sure it stays relevant in a chat GPT can do most of the stuff that it does already. Um, but yeah, um, the thing I'll plug, uh, my blog, simonwillison.net, I am now updating it daily with stuff because AI moves, moves so quickly. And I have a Substack newsletter, which is, effectively my blog but in email form sent out a couple of times a week which uh which please subscribe to that or rss feed on my blog or, or whatever because i'm trying to keep track of all sorts of things and i'm publishing a lot at the moment
1: yes uh you you are and we uh, love you very much for it because you, you are a very good uh, reporter and uh, technical deep diver into things into all the things thank you simon um travis um, are you ready to announce? So I guess you've announced it some, somewhere. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I'm. Uh, I, I just founded a company. I'm working on uh, a framework for building reliable agents that aren't toys, uh, and uh, focused on more constrained use cases. Uh, and, you know, I, I look at kind of uh, AGI and these these uh, uh, Auto-G- Type type projects as like jumping all the way to stri- to, to self driving and and we we, we kind of wanna wanna start with some more anger and uh, uh, really focus on on reliable primitives uh, to, to start that and that'll be an open source TypeScript uh, project I'll be releasing the first version of that soon um, and that's that's it follow me uh, you know on here uh, for for this type of stuff I I, I everything AI and, and spam his uh, ChatGPT bot while you still can. Oh yeah, the ChatGPT Twitter bot has about 125,000 followers now. It's still running. I, I'm not sure if it's worth your credits. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Can you I, say I how much you actually, spent actually? No, no. Well, I think probably totally like like uh, a thousand bucks or something. But it, I, it's it's sponsored by OpenAI, so I haven't I haven't actually spent any real money. What? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, once once I changed. Originally, the logo was the ChatGPT logo, and it was the green one. And then they they hit me up and asked me to change it. So now it's a purple logo, yeah, um, yeah. and they're 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 cool with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. OpenAI yeah. is sending takedown notices to people with GPT stuff. Apparently now.
1: Um, so that's, yeah, it's a little bit of a gray area. I want to write more on, on modes. I've been actually collecting and meaning to write a piece on modes. And today I saw the memo. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I guess today's the day we talk about modes. So, uh, thank you all. Thanks. Thanks Simon. Thanks Travis for, for jumping on. And thanks to all the uh, audience for, uh, engaging on this with us. Uh, we'll continue to engage on Twitter, but, uh, thanks to everyone.
0: Thanks everyone. everyone.
1: Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye.